Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. And to um, <laughs> celebrate Star Wars, which is completely New Age paganism and, and Hinduism, uh, I guess I have to say, may the 4th be with you. Because <laughs> we are May 4th, and this is the new, the new thing to do every year on May 4th. I do like Star Wars, but um, I will... I will have to say coming out of the new age movement that <laughs> Lucas really went way off into the left field on the whole force being with you it is um it's a mixture of hinduism and and new age belief system and i should probably say um physics in uh quantum mechanics uh, string theory and all this stuff there's an interesting there's an interesting study when you look at the the kind of what Hollywood pushes as far as as far as its belief system and how Star Wars kind of embraced a lot of that. But just on the fun side, may the fourth be with you today in in a biblical way. May the fourth be with you, in in the sense that the Lord is with you. That's the I guess the the best way to say it. But you know that's that's all the world has. <laughs> they can't say may the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. They don't have them. We do. So <laughs> may the Lord of the fourth be with you. There's the better way to say it, I guess. So we thought we would look at this day in history. Uh, Star Wars didn't happen on this day, but um, we'll look at some of the famous quotes and different things that happened in history. Red Skelton, modern-day philosopher, of course, said... All men make mistakes, but married men find out about them sooner. <laughs> That's true. Very true. The Iraq War. Today was the day, May 4th, 2003. Colin Powell said he was sure there was weapons of mass destruction there in Iraq, which then began plans to begin the war there. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Iran-Contra affair, May 4th, 1989. Oliver North is convicted of being, <laughs> shall we say, well, we won't get into the politics of that. I'll just let it go. I, just, I won't say anything. Um, prohibition, May 4th, 1923. New York repeals the Prohibition Enforcement Act. The prohibition laws were in effect federally, but New York no longer made any effort to enforce them. Hmm. Sounds like <laughs> what they're doing these days. Um, not enforcing laws. Civil War, last major Confederate army surrenders May 4th, 1865. Hmm, interesting. And let's look at a dad joke or two. What religion are crows? We may have done this, but I bet you don't remember the answer. What religion are crows? Birdism. Uh, what happened? No, I don't even know. Somebody, you guys can, I, I'm getting old. I don't know who Jason, um, 
Momoa is. <laughs> Man. Hope that was a backfire. I don't know what that was. Uh, I'm going to skip that joke. Didn't even know who he is. Don't even know who he is. Um, how about Ed's Saran concert? Ed Saran. I don't know who that is. I guess I'm really getting up there. Um, I wasn't expecting to be diagnosed as colorblind. It really came out of the purple. <laughs> Instead of coming out of the blue. Okay. I had to think about that one for a second. Oh, yeah. Forgot the saying. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and move over to the reading for today. As you can see, hopefully, we're in Judges 16 and 17 and Matthew 23, if you'll find your place. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us this time that we can read through your word. Thank you for everybody joining, especially anybody new. Thank you, God, that you are leading them to your word. And we pray, God, that we would just be fed, and this would be our steady diet, that we would commit, all of us, no matter whether we read it on our own or listen or, or watch, whatever, God, that we would take in your word on a daily basis. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges, chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When it was told to Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And he kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts, and pulled them up along with their bars. Then he put them on his shoulders, and he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. After this it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and see where his strength lies, and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her the seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in the inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of those snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my hair in the web and fasten to a pin, I'll become weak like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into a web. She fastened it with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from, the, from his sleep and pulled out the pin 
of the loom of the web. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor's never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she went and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for the men and have him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength was left. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as any other time and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him, gorged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, bounded with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer the great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and rejoice. For they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. So it happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between two pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Samson is avenged. Verse 28, And Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. Samson grasps the two pillars on which the house rested and he braced himself against them, the one on the, on the right hand and the one on the left. And Samson said, Please let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people that were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zoah and Esterol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel for 20 years. Chapter 17. Now there was a man in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So... When he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took the 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image. 
and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons, that he might be his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite and was staying there. Then the man departed from the city, from Bethlehem in Judah, to stay where he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I am going to stay wherever I may find a place. Micah then said to him, Dwell with me, and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your maintenance. So the Levi went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing that I have a Levite in my house. And you have to wonder, what was he thinking, or his mother, making a household idol and trying to dedicate it to the Lord? They must have been very ignorant about the law of Moses, very ignorant about the Ten Commandments. They had been without Samuel for a long time, a real good spiritual guide. They're living in Canaan, and they're getting all their signals crossed. They're, they're mixing in idolatry with their worship of God. Now, of course, we'd never do that today, right? No Christian would ever put an idol in their house with candles in front of it and make a graven image and bow down to it. You see how not a lot has changed in these days because we have people with their altars all over the place in what we call the Christian world. Predominantly Catholics, but not always. It can be in the Protestant world as well. In some of the Episcopal churches in different places, um, you have the same kind of deal. So uh, it's not that uncommon to see people that said, I believe in God and I walk with God, and yet they're making idols and graven images and different things like this, thinking that this is going to please God. And he's got this in his house, and then he finds a Levite and says, hey, now I have a, a priest in my house. God's really going to be happy with me because I got the stuff. I got the guy. I got the idol. God will be happy with me. Forgetting that, what does God really want? Obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. Right? He, God, better than all the fat of the rams that you can offer up. Hasn't figured that out. And the young Levite, well, he's not much, not much better because he's going to this house with these idols. He should have known. Should have known, no, no. Worship God in spirit and truth. We, don't, we do not worship through idols, period. And then the whole thing with Samson. Um, it's interesting that Samson had the greatest strength of any man in the world but was one of the weakest men in the world when it came to his moral standards and his um, his ability to be conquered over by women and his lust. If you think about it, the women were more powerful than he was in one sense because they could seduce him. And Delilah seduced him. And 
And I have to wonder, he wasn't, even, he wasn't supposed to ever touch wine, anything of the vine. But I don't know about beer. How else do you fall asleep and have your hair cut off or have your hair weaved into a loom? That's a guy that really can sleep and not get and not wake up. I don't know. It just seems like Samson tends to break all of the prohibitions of the Nazarite in every aspect. He does not show himself to be faithful to God in almost any aspect other than the fact that he was carrying out what God wanted him to do, and that was to judge the Philistines. That he was, he was all about that. But so, I don't know, foolish, just foolish. I mean, you would think after the first or second time, he might wonder, wonder if Delilah's hiding any guys in the back room. But no, he, you know, through, they come on him three times, and then, and then he, after all that, she's, he still reveals the, the truth after all of that. So Delilah had an amazing power, and I would suggest that it, that, that power that she possessed was also supernatural, and that she was being used in the demonic world to seduce him to reveal his strength in the Lord. And, of course, you know, God took his power away. Why did God allow him to have that power with that kind of lifestyle? Don't know. Don't know. But um, it was for his purpose and his plan. And uh, certainly Samson realized when he had his eyes gouged out that he had been spiritually blind for a long time. God it was allowing him to live and operate in his mercy and his grace. But he was not being anything like Samuel was. And he was not giving glory to God. And he was feeding his flesh all those days. So then God, you know, allows him to be imprisoned. And I'm, I'm just going to go on the guess here, but I'm guessing his hair growing back was only really part of it. I'm thinking that what really grew back was his commitment to Yahweh. Probably repentance and sorrow for his attitudes and actions against Yahweh. It doesn't say that. That's my own personal opinion. But you can see how it would fit because God allows him to have his power come back because the power was only in the hair in so much as it was a part of his vow. The hair itself was not supernatural, but it was a representation that nothing really unclean was supposed to cut to um, come into his life, and yet he was all about taking in unclean things in his life. But it was a, a indicator of what a man of God fully dedicated to God was supposed to be like. So anyway, it's, it's an interesting study, the study of Samson, study of uh, contrast, and a study of God's mercy and grace. And God does judge the Philistines through Samson, but Samson... One of the few guys in the Bible that commit suicide, and in this one instance, God seems to allow it because it's it's more like a warrior going into battle on a on a suicide mission for his commander. So anyway, God allows it. Very interesting study. Let's move on into Matthew twenty three. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, "The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses." Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. 
They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders. For one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a penance you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and on land and make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple that sanctified the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets 
and wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the sons of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to the desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Very strong words. We don't often see this. Those of us who obviously read the New Testament a lot are well familiar with it. But most people that are casual churchgoers are not quite as um, aware of how heavy-handed Jesus came down on the scribes and Pharisees. And he basically kind of says, you guys are are judged. Um, How are you going to escape the sentence of hell? If all you do is lift up yourself, if all you are about is self-glorification and having men obey you and, uh, and, and uh, lift you up and uh, give you seats of honor and you don't care about justice and righteousness, the things that are important to the Father, to the heart of the Father, how are you going to escape any of this? They were supposed to be leading Israel into righteousness. They were leading them away from it. So Jesus' heaviest words were against the religious hypocrites. And in that, we are supposed to take a lot of uh, stock and look at what's going on in our day and look to see if there's those kinds of religious leaders around us. And they're all over the place in Catholicism and Protestantism. Um, these, These guys on TV just infuriate me the pride of these men and uh and i don't know what else to say but just read the words of jesus and pray for them we're supposed to pray for those guys and pray they get humbled and pray that god gets a hold of their heart before they're judged before they stand before him and, and he says depart from me i never knew you but i was a famous televangelist i was a famous priest i was the archbishop i was the pope Apart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they love the robes. They love. They love the position. They love the power. They loved everything, but their love for the Lord wasn't strong enough to let Him guide them. And of course, we can do it on the on the micro level. In our own things, pastors and their own churches can get this way. I traveled around in Europe with a pastor when I was on the mission field. That I was was in charge of like seven, six or seven churches. We we drove from town to town, and each town we'd come into, these people would almost bow down and worship this guy, and they would bring him food, and they would bring him all this stuff. And um, he was finely dressed, you know, in the best clothes and stuff. He was a nice guy, but I was so uncomfortable being around him because these people would come and treat him like he was a king, and uh, and he kind of let them. And I didn't want to be any part of it at all. 
we were there trying to help do ministry with this church. But um, <laughs> long story, but we have to be very careful. Pray for the leaders in your churches. Pray they don't become puffed up and prideful. I just saw a thing on YouTube yesterday. What happened to Justin Bieber's pastor? <laughs> and he's there. Uh, he's there with his shirt off after working out or something with all his tattoos. And um, and I thought, oh, I prayed for him. I said, Lord, bless this guy. He got too famous too quick. Probably started out great. And uh, and it's, the enemy wants to always try and attack the head. So anyway, um, be, be wary of pride, I guess. It's the whole thing there. And not becoming religious in your in your lifestyle and not to be tripped up by the enticements of religion rather than just pure simple obedience to the Lord which is what Jesus was saying victory in reverse rejoice not against me O mine enemy when I fall I shall rise when I sit in darkness the Lord shall be a light unto me Micah 7 8 different Micah by the way Micah the prophet, the one we just read about, was not Micah the prophet. Just in case you're wondering, this may express the feelings of a man or woman downtrodden and oppressed. Our enemy may put out our light for a season. There is sure hope for us in the Lord. And if we are trusting in him and holding fast our integrity, our season of downcasting and darkness will soon be over. The insults of the foe are only for a moment. The Lord will soon turn their laughter into lamentation and our sighing into singing. What if the great enemy of souls should for a while triumph over us, as he has triumphed over better men than we are? Yet let us take heart, for we shall overcome him before long. We shall rise from our fall, and our God has not fallen, and he will lift us up. We shall not abide in darkness, although for a moment we sit in it. For our Lord is a fountain of light, and he shall soon bring us a joyful day. Let us not despair or even doubt. One turn of the wheel, and the lowest will be at the top. Woe unto those who laugh now, for they shall mourn and weep when their boasting is turned into everlasting contempt. But blessed are all holy mourners, for they shall be divinely comforted. There you go. I don't know what else to say. It's God telling us that whatever's going on now, he will make it right. He will, in the end, he will make it right. So, with that being said, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we have together and I ask you to bless it now as we finish the morning and we know that some of us feel like we've been over overtaken beat down we need you to come in and lift us up and have victory in these battles that we're we're fighting right now we pray that you do that soon pray you have victory god in, in the major battles in the world right now islam which is which is raging always against christianity as well as communism atheism hinduism so many uh attacks against the church from all sides but we thank you for your strength we thank you god that that even if we are in a position of being beat down we are going to be elevated and you are gaining the glory and the victory overall because things are falling according to your plan 
you hold the history of the world in your hand and you allow these things, God, to bring it to a close so, your, so that your son comes back and establishes kingdom. So we thank you and know that we can trust you. So help us trust you in all these things, even in the times of sickness, even in the times of difficulty, God. We want to trust you and ask a special blessing on our brother Juan Carlos, who's, who's got a very swollen um, section of his, of his sinus and is um, now experiencing headaches and pain. And Father, help him get into that cancer center in Mexico City today that he be diagnosed and they'd be giving him the right medication and planning God for the right course of action we believe would probably be surgery at this point to deal with it. So we hope, God, that this can be dealt with quickly. And uh, we pray that Francisco can be seen by the doctors here in in Fajarda quickly so that they can help him get on the right track to healing as he is still, God, just not, not healing up as we would like to see him. And for the rest of those going through treatments with their cancer, we thank you, God, that you have done so many amazing and and powerful treatments to kill off cancer cells. We want to rejoice and thank you for modern medicine and the things you are doing and rejoice with our brothers and sisters that are seeing those small victories, swelling go down or or their their numbers going down. I want to thank you so much for that. Pray for um, our other friends with different surgeries and requirements of surgeries, things they need done, that you would touch them and bless them, God, and help them in, in what they need to have done in their bodies. So, God, we, we lift these up to you, Father, and ask you uh, just help them get what they need, get the, what they need, the surgeries they need, the things that they need. So want to pray for that. want to pray for the fire going on in uh, Vegas, Las Vegas, and how... Uh, how devastating it is to be the, the, the state's largest fire and the largest going in the United States right now and is increasing. The winds are increasing, God. So we just pray that you would take those winds down. Get the wind down, Father. Please, we pray as Jesus silenced the winds on the Sea of Galilee, you would do it once again so that we could get this fire and so there would be no loss of life and, the, and also that they would save homes, save communities, save camps, all kinds of things, God. So we lift that up to you. And ask your special blessing there. So thank you for this day. Uh, continue to bless the rest of us with our, our aches and pains in our feet, in our hands, in our lungs, in our shoulders, Renee in her back. Just, God, give us a respite. Give us rest. Strengthen us, God. And bless the service tonight at 630. Bless your word. Help us be astute and attentive to your word. May you use it, God, to build us stronger so that we are absolutely confident. In our salvation, we know you. We are strong. You make us warriors so that we can stand up against this raging tide of evil that is just sweeping the world, that's trying to create a one-world government and trying to steal away every person's freedom to think or to act or to even follow that which is good, to follow that which which is holy, anything that is pure trying to steal that away and rob it from us. So, God, use your word tonight for that purpose to build us up. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, see you guys. Thank you, and I would love to see you tonight, about 6.30, our time in Vallarta, if not physically, virtually. So we'll see you then. Bye-bye.